All right. Well, have you out tonight, and I wanted to give just a kind of a quick update on our building situation, our building project that is. And uh, I re- that is, uh, I really don't have an update, but there are a couple of things that I would like for you to pray for. We have a couple of bids that should be coming in in the next uh, couple weeks, which uh, we pray will actually um, uh, help us as far as knowing uh, what direction to go. Also, um, a couple of, um, well, I talked to a couple of lenders and I'm supposed to I hear from them also within the next couple of weeks. So uh, the next two weeks, we really can be praying that uh, God will uh, provide uh, as far as uh, as far as the bids, as far as the financing, and um, that will tell us a lot. But uh, one thing that I am convinced of, and that is that I signed uh, another year lease for this building, and I I honestly believe it's the last one that that we're going to sign. Um, for this building. And of course, I don't have anything to base that on other than faith that God is going, uh, God's going to do something. And so we honestly believe that he is. All right, we're in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Got a lot of empty seats here tonight. I don't know if what, what's uh, going on on this Sunday, but um, we, uh, it was good to ha- see a big crowd this morning. And uh, tonight, it's just, it's good to be together. 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Now, we've been preparing for a couple of things. Obviously, the, the Easter service and uh, Sunday mornings, we've been doing a series on that. And then Sunday nights, remember the Tuesday before Easter at 7 o'clock, we are going to be observing the Lord's Supper. So we're trying to get ready for that also and 1 Corinthians chapter 11, you'll probably know this by heart by the time we get uh, get finished, by the time we get uh, to the end. And actually, um, this may be just the last message that we do on the Lord's Supper because next Sunday we have Brother Touch Ko with us. And uh, it's always good when we can have our missionaries with us, particularly the ones that we are supporting. And uh, so he's going to come. Now he's, he's coming by himself. Normally he comes with his wife and and or his wife and kids, but he's going to be coming uh, by himself. But he's going to be giving a report next Sunday night, preaching for us. So that will, as always, be an exciting time. All right, 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Let's go ahead and stand in reverence to God's word. 1 Corinthians chapter 11. And we're going to begin reading here, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, and verse number 23. 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Verse number 23, the Apostle Paul writes, For I have received of the Lord that which also I delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he brake it and said, Take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you, this do in remembrance of me. And after the same manner also he took the cup when he had supped, saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood. This do ye as oft as ye drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as ye eat this bread and drink this cup, ye do show the Lord's death till he come. Wherefore, whosoever shall eat this bread and drink this cup of the Lord unworthily shall be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup, For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily 
eateth and drinketh damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this cause many are weak and sickly among you, and many sleep. Let's go ahead and go to the Lord in prayer. We'll stop right there. Heavenly Father, uh, again we come before you. Lord God, we want to be right with you. We want to be right with you as a church. Lord, we want to be right with you as individuals. And I pray that as we go over this tonight, Father, that you would speak to us. Lord, that you would give us the ability to examine ourselves so that we can see, Father, from your word, from you, from your spirit, from our own judgment, Lord, whether we meet the qualifications. And we thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, you can go ahead and be seated. We're going to deal tonight with the qualifications of the Lord's Supper. And you're, uh, you've heard this from me before. Yes, we do go overboard when it comes to this, just because it's better to be safe than sorry. I always tell, a, tell somebody when they come up to me repeatedly and they ask, Pastor, um, how, uh, how, am I sure that I'm saved? And, of course, we go over the scriptures with them, and then we go over what they did. But if there's doubt, particularly with the kid, I always say this. I always say, you know what? It's, it's so much better to be safe than sorry. And God is not going to come to condemn us when we stand before him. If he says, why did you make a second profession? The first one took. Well, that's great. If the first, and by the way, if you make a true profession of faith, it sticks, and you are eternally saved. But it is better to be safe than sorry. I've known people who have questioned their, their baptism. Uh, they, um, they made a profession, they got baptized, but they think they might have made their true profession later. Okay, well, better to be safe than sorry. Let's make sure that your baptism is scriptural also. Uh, I do not think that God is going to condemn us or that God is going to lecture us for making sure and going overboard as far as following the scriptures. On the other hand, if we don't make sure we're following the scriptures, then there are going to be some problems there. And so we do kind of go overboard, particularly when you've got a warning like this one. Wherefore, whosoever shall eat this bread and drink this cup of the Lord unworthily shall be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. As I mentioned before, most churches, aside from the churches that believe that the Lord's Supper is part of your salvation, but most churches kind of take a, a, almost a flippant um, a standard when it comes to the Lord's Supper. And we need to be very careful of that simply because it is a memorial and it is a time when we, the Bible says here, that we do show the Lord's death till he return. And that if we don't do it seriously and we don't make sure that all the qualifications are met, look at what it says. It says here that you're not discerning the Lord's body. My, we do not want to be guilty of that. They shall be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. Verse number 26, as often as you, as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you do show the Lord's death till he come. Whosoever shall eat this bread and drink this cup of the Lord unworthily shall be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. So we certainly want to make sure, even go overboard if we have to, 
to make sure that the qualifications are met. So Paul obviously indicates here that in order to participate at the Lord's table, there are qualifications that need to be met. And it's important that we know what those restrictions of the Lord's table are and willingly do what is necessary so that we can qualify, so that we can participate. Now, there are three theological terms used to express the various views on restrictions at the Lord's table. And those of you that have been through this series, many times you probably know what those theological views are. You've got open communion. It's exactly what it says. It's open pretty much to anyone and everyone. It's open. A lot of churches practice that today, particularly if you walk in and they're passing out the juice in the cup as you walk in. Now, they may, they may say, now there are precautions, but they've already opened it up to everybody. And they've put people on the spot. And, and so that is, a, as we've seen in Scripture, that's a very dangerous stand to take. Then there is what's called close communion. Um, As long as you are saved, some churches even take that a little further, as long as you're saved and a member of a church of like faith. But then there is closed communion. Closed communion means that it is closed to the membership of the particular local New Testament church administering it. Now, once again... In the spirit of going overboard, we practice closed communion. Because just as the family is a local unit, hey, just because I am family doesn't necessarily mean that I, that I, can, that I can come in and, and, and uh, partake of the things of your family. Just because someone else is a member of a church doesn't mean that they have the right to come in and partake of the particulars of this local church. Um, Because it's the local church here in Hillsboro that God has set up here. So we practice closed communion. Realizing that this is the Lord's table, we want to study the Lord's word to find out how he would have his table administered. And so first of all, As far as the qualifications go, I believe the first qualification is this. You need to be saved. And I think that pretty much goes without saying. It's the Lord's Supper. It's for the Lord's people. In Matthew chapter 28, when Jesus gives the Great Commission, in Matthew 28, 18, Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Getting saved comes before baptism, and then after baptism comes the observations. And of course, the, the Lord's Supper is one of those observations. First Corinthians chapter 11 talks about the Lord's Supper, 1 Corinthians was written to the church in Corinth. What is the church? He didn't write it to a building. He wrote it to a local assembly of saved and, of course, baptized believers. And uh, 1 Corinthians chapter uh, 1, verse number 2, this is who that letter is addressed to. To them that are sanctified in Christ Jesus... 
called to be saints with all that in every place call upon the name of Jesus Christ our Lord, both theirs and, and ours. And so that's who it's addressed to, people who are saved. You've got to be saved to qualify for the Lord's table. You've got to be a child of God to qualify for the Lord's table. And so that's qualification number one, pretty easy. The second one is also easy because we can see how it follows there in the Great Commission. Number two, you need to be scripturally baptized. You need to be scripturally baptized in order to partake of the Lord's Supper. As we read the Great Commission, go ye therefore and teach all nations. That means to make disciples baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. That's the second. That's the, uh, the first step of uh, obedience after salvation. And then teaching them to observe. So once again, baptism comes before the divine observances. When the Lord instituted his supper with the twelve, actually the eleven, because one of them was dismissed before the Lord actually administered the Lord's Supper, and that would have been Judas Iscariot who was neither saved, Uh, he was baptized, but obviously not scripturally baptized if he wasn't saved. And so when the Lord instituted his supper with the eleven, those men were scripturally baptized. Acts chapter 1, when we read the qualifications of an apostle, when they're looking for that twelfth apostle to replace Judas Iscariot, here were the qualifications. Wherefore of these men which have, been, which have accompanied with us all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us. So in order to be one of the twelve, you had to be with Jesus during his earthly ministry, during that, that entire time. Beginning from the baptism of John unto that same day that he was taken up from us, must one be ordained to be a witness with us of his resurrection. Apostles are now going to ordain another, uh, another to complete the number 12, have, having lost Judas. Being saved and scripturally baptized were the qualifications. You know, the people in the Corinthian church were not only saved, they were baptized. And once again, 1 Corinthians chapter 11 is addressed to who? The church in Corinth. Saved, baptized, it is the prescribed method of church, uh, of church membership. In Acts chapter 18 and verse number 8, the Bible says, In Crispus, the chief ruler of the synagogue, believed on the Lord with all his house, and many Corinthians hearing believed and were baptized. And so that was there in Corinth, how that Crispus was one of the first, and then his house and many other Corinthians, the Bible says they believed first, and then they were baptized. And also there on the day of Pentecost, not in the church of Corinth, but the church in Jerusalem, as many, uh, uh, they, they gladly received his word, and then they were baptized, and then they were added. They were added to the church there. And so you need to be saved, first of all. You need to be scripturally baptized, second of all. Third of all, um, if you're saved and scripturally baptized, uh, then um, you're, you, uh, you're a member of the church. And so that would be the third qualification. And I think, I believe you ought to be a member of the church that is administering it. You ought to partake of the Lord's Supper in your own church. 
And you, so you ought to be a member of the church. Remember, we call, we call it a local church ordinance. Well, that means it ought to be taken in your local church. It ought to be administered by your local church, observed by your local church. And you ought to observe it in your local church. See, the Lord initiated his supper with the twelve. These 12 were the church, 1 Corinthians 12, 28. They were that first church, and God hath set some, of the, some in the church. First, the apostles. They were the first members of that very first church. And then, of course, it, um, there in Jerusalem, that church was added to, um, boy, tenfold. It was 120 by the time we come to the day of Pentecost, 120 names on the membership rolls. And then in one day, it went from 120 to 3,120. Boy, the unbelievable growth. But, uh, but nonetheless, that was the way uh, that it went. So he initiated it with that 12. They were the first ones. Now, there were many other disciples. There were many other believers in Jesus' day, we know that there was Mary, Mary's sister Martha. Lazarus had been risen from the dead by Jesus. He certainly was a believer. There were a lot of disciples, but they were not invited. They weren't all invited to that Lord's Supper because they'd not been added to the church yet. Jesus started that church with those apostles, with those twelve, and then, of course, later from there... It grew, and so he instituted the, he instituted the church, the, the Lord's Supper, with his church, not simply with believers, because there were many, but simply with his church. And we should stick to the pattern given to us in the Bible. There is something to be said about patterns. Jesus set the pattern, and we ought to follow the pattern. In Hebrews chapter eight, verse number five. Listen to this. Moses was admonished of God. This is what Hebrews 8, 5 says. Moses was admonished of God when he was about to make the tabernacle. For see, saith he, that thou make all things according to the pattern showed to thee. You know, there's a lot of patterns that are given to us in the New Testament where you may not see a thou shalt, But we know because there's a pattern, we ought to follow that pattern. One of the patterns, by the way, is baptism by immersion. You know, the Bible, nowhere does it say, thou shalt baptize by immersion. But every New Testament believer in the New Testament was baptized by immersion. We know that because that's what the very word means. And every time we see an example of a baptism, when Jesus was baptized, he went down into the water and came up out of the water. And that was the same. When we see, we see this pattern that John the, Baptist, John the Baptist baptized in Anon because there was much water there. In other words, there was enough water where you could literally go down, go under, and come back up. Not only do we see the pattern in that that's how people were baptized. How about in the meaning of baptism? In the likeness of his death and in the likeness of his resurrection. There's no likeness of a death, burial, and resurrection in the sprinkling. Only in an immersion. And so God gave us that pattern. Another pattern God gives us in the New Testament is worshiping on the first day of the week. 
I believe the first day of the week is God's day. I believe that the first day of the week is the day that the church is supposed to come together, assemble together, worship God. This In the New Testament, this is when we ought to be serving him. The pattern was set. Jesus, he was raised again on the first day of the week. By the way, when Jesus appeared to that very first church, you know what day it was on? The first day of the week. And of course, guess who was missing? Thomas. And But that very next Sunday, Thomas was there and the church was there and Jesus appeared once again. We see this pattern continue when Paul tells the church that collections ought to be taken on the first day of the week. Now, I've heard Seventh-day Adventists try to say, well, that doesn't mean they were worshiping on the first day of the week. That just means they took collections on the first day of the week. Well, guess what? You didn't have cars. You didn't have online giving in the New Testament. Uh, It was convenient to give when you were already there, the first day of the week. Now, they will say once again, and, and many churches today, which have Saturday worship, Friday night worship, we just want it to be convenient for you. But the pattern was set in the New Testament, and I believe for a reason, we ought to follow that pattern. The first day of the week. By the way, every Sunday is Resurrection Sunday. I know that we set Easter aside for Resurrection Sunday, but that's more for inviting people to church. We know that every Sunday is Resurrection Sunday. That's why we come together on the first day of the week, because we celebrate it and we worship the one who is raised again on the first day of the week. So there are many patterns in the Bible. We follow those patterns. Does it say, thou shalt immerse? No, it doesn't. But we certainly see the pattern. Thou shalt worship on the first day of the week. Eh, It doesn't say that, but we certainly see the pattern. And it made for successful churches in the New Testament. And we ought to follow uh, that pattern. Um, Does it say that uh, thou shalt uh, uh, observe the Lord's Supper only in the church? Well, we certainly see the pattern, and that's where Jesus started it. And being that there's a death penalty given to observing the Lord's Supper in a wrong way, let's stick with the pattern. And let's just say God knows best, and we'll just stick with his pattern. Um, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse number 13, which things also we speak, not in the words which man's wisdom teacheth, but which the Holy Ghost teacheth, comparing spiritual things with spiritual In other words, we take Scripture and we compare the things in the Scripture and we say, okay, this is how it was done. This is the way I believe that we need to continue to do it. So, you must be saved. You must be scripturally baptized. I believe you need to be a member of the church administering the Lord's Supper. It's a good pattern to continue to follow. And then, and number four, Number four, obviously, you need to have a right heart. You need to have a heart that's right with God in order to observe the Lord's Supper or to participate in the Lord's Supper. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse number 28. Let a man examine himself, 
Let a man examine himself. So what are some things we ought to be examining? What are some things in my life that I ought to be looking at in order to qualify for the Lord's Supper or to be right with God? Forget about qualifying for the Lord's Supper. We ought to want to be right with God every day. So what are some things I ought to examine? What are some things I ought to be taking care of? Number one, I believe we ought to examine our relationship with God. How's my relationship with God? Let me ask you this. Is God number one in your life? Because if God is simply a priority in your life, then he's not where he ought to be in your life. God should be number one. God should be not a priority, the priority. As we learned this morning, Matthew 6, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and then all these things shall be added unto you. In other words, that's the foundation right there. God should be number one, and everything else is going to fall right into place. So how's your relationship with God? The Lord's table, it's a table of fellowship, first of all with God. That's why it's called communion. And we can be out of fellowship with God. Psalms sixty-six, eighteen. if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. That's to be out of fellowship with God. There's, there's iniquity in my heart. 1 John 1, 6, if we say that we have no, uh, I'm sorry, if we say that we have fellowship with him and we walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. So how's my relationship with God? Here's another thing we ought to be looking at. How's my relationship with my brothers and sisters in Christ, particularly in my local New Testament church? Um, well, most of them I have a pretty good relationship with. Now, you ought to have a pretty good relationship with all of them. Now, I do know this, that we're not all going to have all things in common. Some of us, we're going to get along with some better than others, just like in our own families. But there ought not be grudges. There ought not be bitterness. There ought not be gossipings. There ought not be clips, clicks. There ought not be heresies. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse number 18. 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Let's back up to verse number 17. Verse number 17. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse number 17. Now in this that I declare unto you, I praise you not that you come to better not for the that you come together not for the better, but for the worse. And so what Paul is telling the church in Corinth is that by observing the Lord's Supper, you're making things worse in your church. And here's why. When you come together in the church, I hear there be divisions among you. And then he goes on to tell why he, why he believes it. So there are divisions in the church. My, you've got this division and this clique and and uh, uh, this group over here. And Paul says, how can we be the body of Christ and be divided? There's no way that we can go forward. There's no way that we can accomplish what God wants us to accomplish if there are divisions in the church. So we all must ask, how's my relationship with others in the church? 
are there people in the church that I, that I try to avoid? People in the church that I don't even want to talk to? People in the church that I give the cold shoulder? People in the church that I'm mad at, that I'm, that I'm upset with? If so, I need to get that right before I take the Lord's Supper. Now, that doesn't mean I just say, well, I don't, I'm not going to get it right, so I'm not going to participate in the Lord's Supper. The Bible says, let a man examine himself and then let him eat and let him drink. In other words, God doesn't give us an out. You either get it right or you're wrong with God. And by the way, that person you're married to who is also a member of the church is also a member of the church, which means this. I ought to be right with my spouse. And I ought to, take, I got, I ought to go the extra mile to be right with my spouse. And also, those siblings that you live with or don't live with that are also members of the church are also members of the church. Which means as siblings, sometimes when it's family, we think it's okay. Actually, it's worse because we need to be right with God. We need to be right with one another, and we need to make sure that we're doing everything that we can to make sure that I am eligible and I qualify for the Lord's Supper, for the Lord's Table. So, concerning our fellowship with others, am I saved? Am I scripturally baptized? Am I a member of this local New Testament church? How's my relationship with my brothers and sisters in the church, who also may be my brothers and sisters in my home and in my family? All right, and then, of course, we need to make sure that we have a right heart concerning our meeting the requirements Let's look at 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse number 19 now. There must also be heresies, which, by the way, is another word for cliques among you. Uh, just because we have differing opinions. You know, we can have differing opinions toward things as long as it's not towards the things of God's word. And that's one area we're not to have differing opinions. We believe that this is the final authority. And my opinion about this being the final authority cannot be different from your opinion. We, we, we either all agree on that, or there needs to be some changes made. Um, but concerning our meeting, all the requirements. 1 Corinthians eleven twenty seven, Whosoever shall eat this bread and drink this cup of the Lord unworthily shall be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. So let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. Hey, if any of these requirements are lacking, then I need to examine, get it taken care of, and then come that Tuesday night when we observe the Lord's Supper, both eat and drink, commune with God and with my brothers and sisters in Christ. Let's have every head bowed and every eye closed. With every head bowed and with every eye closed. The qualifications of the Lord's Supper 
Of course, we know that there are many that think that you go in with no qualifications 